Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the TF Tuesday podcast. My name is Zill. It's great to have you back again this week. I actually learned recently that I was using my recording microphone incorrectly because it's not omnidirectional, and I didn't know that. And I discovered this on a Discord call when a friend pointed it out to me. So that was my fun week, but I should be coming to you much louder and much clearer now, which is always better to find out now rather than later. Today, we have a very special guest who's joining us, and I'm really excited to chat with them all about the wonderful stuff they do, and especially at Animate TF. But first, of course, as always, if you are interested in supporting us, you can join us at patreon.com slash tftuesdaypod. We have a nice cozy little Discord server where you can talk to me about all of the pool toy TF that I do love, as well as pretty much any topic. We have a pretty active community there, and the funds do help us keep this going. So if you are interested in supporting in that way, you can check us out on Patreon at tftuesdaypod. All right, now that's out of the way. I'm really excited to have Inanimorphs here to chat with us today. So would you like to introduce yourself? Sure. I guess you guys, you folks in the TF community might know me as Inanimorphs. Um, I also go by Transformative. If you're around during the pony days, uh, I used to go by Chocolate Pony. Um, have a lot of names I haven't stuck with yet. Um, I've, if you go to conventions, you might know me for my booth. I sometimes vend under the name Furry Flags shifter clothing and i also run a lot of uh tf themed history and psychology panels at cons so nice to be here yeah it's great to have you and honestly i'm really glad that i was able to get our schedules to align because i know how busy you are with all of the conventions that you get to go to and i kind of wanted to start off there because you know you've had a lot of experience going to conventions and vending at conventions specifically, which is definitely a subset of the convention experience that I feel like a lot of people don't have a good understanding of. So I was curious if you'd be interested in telling us a little more about like, what's that been like and what kind of got you into the kind of vending space in the first place? Sure. Yeah. Uh, I guess for some of you who might not know, I also uh, am the founder and I run the Convention History Project. So I've been tracking the history of conventions, not just the furry cons, but the early sci-fi cons, anime cons, pony cons, trek cons, all that fun stuff. So I've been involved. So conventions have been a big part of my life for definitely the last 10 years because I think I started doing this full time in 2013. So it's been 10 years. Um, I'm originally from California. I went to Baltimore for um, for university. I was studying genetic biology at Johns Hopkins University. Um, Hopkins is just a few miles away from the Baltimore Convention Center. And so I was able to, you know, have a chance to attend some of the uh, uh, largest cons in the countries at that time. Uh, well, large on the East Coast, like Oldicon, which... I think held the reins for being one of the top 10 anime cons in the country, uh, Baltimore Comic Con, uh, Balticon, one of the oldest science fiction cons in the country, and of course, uh, BrodyCon, when it moved there in 2013. And I think uh, 2013 was just around the time when I decided to take a break because I was originally planning to go to med school. Um, I decided to try vending at some small cons just to see how it went. Um I was surprised I made a good amount of money and I just kept on doing it. And so for the last 10 years, vending at cons have been, has been my full-time job. 
and it's been my only source of income, surprisingly enough, because uh, most of my uh, fellow artist friends, they normally have a, a Patreon, online store, do commissions. I do none of that. So all my sales have been from conventions. So I, I, I think I enjoy that. And I, I think I, I kind of found an, a groove for how I like to do it, because I used to do a panel at cons called So You Want to Be a Con Artist, where give people the tips and tricks of vending at cons. Um, but uh, yeah, the, the scene has changed so much, so much year after year, that's kind of hard to keep up. So I, I'm still trying to keep up with the scene myself. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. And you know, I gotta say, I, I travel around a little bit to conventions, definitely not the level that you tackle in a year. But I always see your stuff at every single con I've gone to and it's been really fantastic to see it there especially because there's such an amazing selection of TF merchandise and if anything I know that you will be there and you will have TF merchandise because sometimes it can be slim pickings yeah I think I was like one of the first uh surprisingly enough in the furry community to actually focus my booth on TF and transformation. Like I, I think I started slowly weaning into it, like when I first started, and then now my booth has kind of just been full blown TF. Like um, at least a majority of my stuff is TF now, and I, I think I'm now I'm seeing a lot more TF artists vending at cons. Uh, but for the longest time, it seemed to have been just me, and I think that was also a little tricky because you know a lot of cons are done with by jury applications and. And even though the TF community is like heavily intertwined with the furry community, it seems also some furries might be weirded out or don't understand the TF community. So sometimes I haven't been able to get into the cons because of that. Actually, one of the uh, dealers lead for one of the largest furry cons was actually telling me, oh, he's a big TF fan. But it he, he always says, oh, his uh, fellow staff friends might might be suspicious if he keeps on like accepting all the tf people so he tries to accept tf people discreetly but <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh that's funny i always find it a bit amusing when the furries are a little bit like confused or like weirded out from the like transformation stuff not because like i'm not saying they need to like be into it or like get into like all the nitty-gritty but I've always found that the easiest way to explain TF is like talking about things like werewolves and stuff and like just general shape-shifting characters, which are very common in media. And I would think that, you know, especially for from a furry perspective, you know, if you'd want to go and be a furry in real life, you'd have to like go from your current self to that. So I don't know. I always find it funny when the furries are a little bit weirded out by it, I guess. Yeah, I, I also, yeah, I kind of argued that with, um, as well with uh, Essential and I, we did, uh, we started trying to do TF panels at PonyCons, and we kind of argued that as well. It's like, if you have a pony OC, you're kind of partaking in a form of TF. And I think you've been to uh, my um, uh, Transformation History panel, but uh, depending on which version you went to, I sometimes talk about the, the history of the community and fandom, because what's unique about the TF community is it's, even though it kind of overlaps with furry, it's 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 weird because it's not specifically a, a subsection of furry it's like a it's like a community that has pockets like there's a there's a tf community in the sci-fi and horror community there's a tf community in the uh, anime and manga community there's a there's tf community there's pockets of tf communities in all these separate fandoms so there's like no one uniting tf fandom so f the only way for tf fans to kind of meet up is to go to these other communities and 
try to connect there. But I think of the uh, the different communities, the TF community within the furry fandom is currently, I think, the largest and most active. So that's where you get a lot of the TF fans. But like you said, yeah, it could be connected with werewolves and even if you you could even argue the anime henshin genre the isi, the isekai genre that is a form of tf as well you have comic book fans who love characters like beast boy or plastic man or stone boy and that could be arguable as another tf sub pocket and of course you have fans of like shows like animorphs who might be completely separate from the furry community and they're technically considered tf fans if you think about it as well so it's like just it's just like pockets everywhere <laughs> Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, one other one that also comes to mind is, you know, the people who are into like hypnosis stuff related to like mental changes and stuff. And that doesn't even really fit into like furry in any way because it's often like human characters. So yeah, to your point, I think it does really exist in so many different discrete pockets and it's kind of hard to bring everyone together. And furry has just kind of been like the like quote-unquote default for the time being but like there are tf people who go to other conventions too we just don't necessarily hear about them as much because in the furry kind of community we're almost cordoned off and away from them oh yeah like i i do like i said vending at cons is my full-time job so i do about 20 to 30 cons a year and so half of them are furries because there's there's no there's not 30 furry cons in the country but um but i saw half are furry cons and the other half is a mix of anime comic sci-fi and pony cons and yeah the pocket is smaller there but recently i like i said i started to do some tf panels at pony cons i did a tf panel at some anime cons recently i'm trying to start doing them at um, science fiction cons but there is some pockets community but they they tackle on completely different stuff which i find interesting but yeah, I don't know if there's going to be some type of wider theme to everything we're talking about today. But I, I would always, I always argue, this is why I'm, I really am pushing for a lot of TF's media that I'm working on now. That's why I'm, I've been doing my history panels. That's why I'm trying to do my YouTube channel. That's why I'm, I've been collecting like a uh, archive of almost every single TF book I could find. Because I, I, I want to argue transformation is a, um, I think could be seen as a genre as opposed to a trope and i would like to see uh transformation evolve further as a genre because uh i think i pointed out in actually both my tf history and my inanimate transformation panels it seems like right now the only time you see tf is in like one or two categories you either see in like horror media or you see in comedies like it's it's always horror or comedy and you rarely see tf uh, with a main character in a lot of other media i think probably the best way you see tf in like a power fantasy manner is in the fantasy genre and the comic book genre but oftentimes those characters who can't shapeshift are always secondary characters and are not the main focus so i, I, w- I really want to push f- for more stories that could branch outside of that and don't focus on the werewolves or canines because it seems like if it's a horror it's a, it's a horror tf comic or a, a media it's always werewolves if it's a comedy tf story it's always a boy turns into a dog and it's like no you could do more than this you know like alan moore was saying comics can do more than just superheroes and i, I think tf could do way more than just werewolves or comedy yeah oh absolutely and you know you've mentioned the panels i think it'd be great to kind of get into that you know there's a few different panels that you've run 
you know, not only just the conventions I've gone to, but I've seen you run them at, you know, almost all the conventions you go to. And I think that one thing that's really nice about them is that when I know that you're going and holding a panel, I know obviously in advance because you'll often mention it on Twitter and I'll be like, okay, I know there's going to be at least one thing at that convention that I'm going to that is actually catered towards transformation uh, besides the meeting creed. And so, you know, I was curious as to what kind of got you into running some of those in particular. Like, for example, I know you've been doing the History of Shapeshifters one recently, and that one obviously is very pertinent for a lot of people. So I was wondering how you kind of came about or decided to start running those panels and then what the process is like to put one of them together. Yeah, so it's weird because I'm not really a social person. I'm not really good at doing public I'm not really good at doing public speaking, but I started doing panels at cons because there's a lot of topics I love talking about that I don't see represented. So the convention history, the transformative art, all that stuff. Um, when I started doing furry cons, because like I said, I think my only connection really to the furry community was through transformation. Because honestly, if it wasn't for the transformation subsection, I don't think I would actually be much really involved with the furry community. It's only through transformation. And when I started doing furry cons, um, there was a very little, if that, if any, uh, TF panel uh, at these cons. Like sometimes there would be a transformation meetup, but I, I keep on hearing a lot of people not liking how meetups used to be done. It was just like a room where people would just raise their hands. Oh yeah, I remember Animorphs. I remember this. I remember that. And it wasn't like talking about the because there's so many topics you cover with transformation. Like I said, you could cover the history from folklore, literature. You could cover the psychology. You could cover the group dynamics. There's so much psychology behind it. Um, so I started doing con. I started doing panels at cons that were kind of based based off some of these ideas. And um, for the longest time, like some cons might not even have the meetup panel. So my my panel normally was the default transformation panel and meetup panel at a lot of these conventions and i think now even though they take time to do it because it takes a lot of research to do these panels i'm not being paid to do them but i enjoy doing them because i think i have right now an obligation to the community to kind of help share their history and kind of unite around this niche i guess genre that we all love so yeah that's why i kept on doing them and i'm actually surprised because like for the long for the last few years i think since about 2016 2017 my my tf panel normally used to be the only tf panel at uh, anthrocon so i think they were starting to warm up to do a lot more tf panels since they uh, emailed me um saying hey can you would you like to do a repeat of your inanimate tf panel it's like sure so i pitched them three tf panels this year and surprisingly none of them got in and i'm like wait you guys asked me to do tf panels and so i i, I also kind of feel bad because I, on one hand i was like okay i'm relieved because like i said panels take a lot, a lot of time i have to vend now i have a fursuit i want to fursuit around and enjoy time afterwards but on the other hand i was like oh that's kind of sad because a lot of people expect to go to my panels at these cons so i don't know maybe i'll email them see what's up but i'm hoping i think some other tf panels were accepted so hopefully there, you could check this out yeah, yeah. I, maybe maybe that's <laughs> it maybe there's just too many tf panels this time and if that's the case then you know that's actually uh good to show uh some other perspectives of the uh, transformation side but uh yeah I, I i enjoy doing these panels at cons I, we, we might talk about it later but i have a lot of different ideas for trying to do more wide-reaching 
stuff with the TF communities because I think, uh, like I said, I, I I did this panel on Anime Con and and some Pony Cons. It would be nice if all these different pockets of these different transformation communities around the world uh, could kind of unite as a larger community and kind of share ideas. Yeah, I think that would be fantastic. And I will say, you know, on the topic of Anthrocon, I know that I'm helping out with an After Dark one with some other folks. So I know that TF one went through. And of course, the meet and greet that I've run, I ran last year and I'm running again this year will be there as well. So there's at least two at uh, Anthrocon. And I believe there's the, uh, it's the, I think it's the Roman Werewolves panel that got accepted as well. Oh, yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I heard about that one getting accepted too. So, you know, there are other ones that are going to be there. I mean, I submitted the TF Tuesday podcast live and that got <laughs> rejected, but I've got the other two, so I'm not going to complain too much. But, you know, I will say there has definitely been an increase in how many TF panels are being accepted. I, For example, I'm going to FWA in a little, in I guess, two weeks, and there's like four that are there and uh i was like kind of stunned i was like oh my gosh i've i've heard before that there's not a lot of tf content at this at this one convention in particular and all of a sudden there's four of them so you know i do think that people are getting more and more engaged in the community which is really nice to see and i think you know at least when it comes to the meet and greets to your point before i know how they were before i lived through that at the start of when i started going to conventions and i think that not just the ones that i uh, four and i run but like even at other ones where we're not there people are starting to run them i think in a different way and i think it's really good to see a more interactive format for people to interact with because at the end of the day we all want to make connections and meet people at these conventions and sitting in a room and just raising your hand is not the best way to actually build those kinds of social connections. But I know for sure that the conventions where you have gone to do your panels, those are definitely more tuned towards people actually connecting with each other and really getting to engage with a lot of like in-depth research that I think people haven't thought about. And I think in particular, the inanimate TF is one I'll call out uh, one of the panels that you've done because I know a lot of people going into it, you know, there's people at furry conventions, maybe they don't have a lot of TF panels to go to, but they're like, oh, this one's TF, I'll go into it. And I feel like that one in particular, I've heard a lot of people actually come out of it and they're like wow i like learned something maybe i'm still not really into inanimate tf but i feel like i've really learned something about what the drive is behind that kind of change and so i was curious have you kind of heard that feedback too and what kind of things did you work to incorporate in that one to make it as broadly appealing as possible yeah the uh inanimate tf stuff that one is uh it's definitely a very, very niche topic, and I think I'm definitely more into the inanimate TF side than the animal, though I, I, I love both equally. It's, yeah, I started, I, I think that panel was a little bit risky to do um, because I didn't know the attitudes behind it, and it's funny because I wish I, um, I was still in university when I started thinking up all these ideas because a lot of these topics I'm covering would be really fun to write as like a senior thesis or dissertation. Um, oh yeah. <laughs> um, but no, there's interesting. There's uh, so I, I, so psychology was part of my, um, my degree. I was studying. Um, it's, I, it's funny because genetic biology. So organic stuff was my main thing, but I, I love inanimate transformation, which doesn't really involve organics. So that one was a little bit tricky to, touch because there's a lot of like elephant in a room type situations with inanimate tf so i wanted to go a little bit broader with the psychological theory so that one i i tried to approach from different 
angles. So similar to my history of shapeshifters panel, I want to look at an animate TF from the history perspective because if you look at like almost all the old mythology stories that we have, there is a lot of an animate TF. Even the Bible has an animate TF. Uh, Lot's wife uh, turning to a pillar of salt. That's technically a form of an animate TF as well. And then. Uh, you had your your fairy tale period during the medieval and feudal periods around the world. Um, you had a lot of transformation stories that involve. And when I talk about an animate TF, I I specifically focus on an organic being being transformed into an animate. So there's there's also the reverse, um, which is an animate object turning to life, and I don't focus on that that much. But I, I, I want to focus more on organic beings being turned into objects. And it, it seemed to be kind of neck and neck with animal transformation for a period, and all of a sudden you saw the shift, uh, specifically with um, the inanimate, uh, specifically with um, transformation chase stories and transformation battle stories. It seems like an animate TF was always the losing dead end story. And then once you hit the modern era, it seems like an animate TF was basically dead as a, as a uh, trope or as a genre. You rarely see an animate TF aside from, like I said, um, and actually it's, it's even more intensified for the inanimate transformation is an animate TF is normally always a horror element or comedy element. So you have your horror elements like I have no mouth and I must scream. Uh, your Twilight Zones where people get turned to mannequins. And then you have your comedy elements like your uh, Stone Boy, your Turbo Teens, and even more recently, Pickle Rick. But for a long period, there was like very, very little inanimate transformation aside from those few instances. And then I think you, you had Turbo Teen, then Beauty and the Beast in the 90s and 2000s. You had this big rise of all these transformation commercials from Gogur, Capri Sun, um, Gushers, all that stuff. And then I think it was specifically within Japan, you started to see the rise of a lot of isekai, where I've been reincarnated into a sword, I've been reincarnated into a vending machine. So we're definitely in the age which inanimate transformation coming back. In fact, there is a new anime movie that just came out that's widely acclaimed, and it's, uh, it's, and one of the main characters is a guy who got turned into a wooden chair. So it's like... Hey, it's it's out there now. Um, Which movie is that? Uh, I, I don't think I've heard about that. Oh, I, I think I tweeted. I think it's uh, Suzumi, I would like to say. It, okay. it just came out in theaters, and everyone. I think everyone's memeing the, uh, the, the fact the guy turns into a chair. You even had Giplier, which is about a guy who turns into a living fursuit, and that's one I, I did an entire video essay on. Um, it's on my YouTube channel, just because I, I noticed a lot of tropes that were used in Giplier were things that the inanimate uh, TF community was doing for at least two decades beforehand. So I'm like, okay, that guy must have seen that stuff. No, but like, I like to talk it from a psychological perspective, because I think uh, like we're, we're, we're around the same generation. We're uh, millennials. The millennial Zoomer generation definitely grew up with these like weird 90s commercials. And so they had a big injection of inanimate transformation media that previous generations didn't. So it kind of makes sense that a lot of people from this generation are kind of the new wave of inanimate transformation. And what's interesting is, um, so I tracked the evolution of inanimate transformation f as a fandom. I think they evolved separately at three different points. So one, you have, I guess it evolved probably from the dominatrix BDM 
BDF uh, SM side where it takes the form of a, a lot of like captions where it's like there's a photo and then there's a like a little short story with it. And that one is interesting because it seems to be more may, uh, men becoming submissive. So a guy gets turned into a bra or a shoe and the female wears him and de degrades him. So it's like a submissive degrading thing. Then in Japan, you see a separate evolution where I think it really... Um, rises from the uh, visual novel dating sim side um, especially in the uh, early 2000s where it's it takes another weird turn where it's the guy he turns into different objects and spies on his female classmates and so it's funny because uh in the japanese side it's more of a dominating thing and in the um the uh, bdfsm side it's more of a submissive thing but then you have the the third one, which is in the furry community, and in the furry community, a lot of the enamored TF uh, is around pool toys, plushies, and what's what's unique is the furry side. A lot of the transformation fan enamored transformation fans and artists are asexual. Like uh, I'm asexual myself, and it's interesting because the other two categories, it seems to be more of um, it seems to go more on that um, I guess sexual trope. But within the, uh, even though it d does exist within the uh, the furry community, it seems to be a very very ace community, which surprised me. So that's why I kind of went into some theories about why that might be. Um, and so uh, that that's what what my panel was about was trying to go through a lot of this stuff. Um, because unlike animal transformation, like I could easily categorize animal transformation um, under two main categories you have the escapist side and you have the power fantasy side but with inanimate transformation you lose the power fantasy because it's like oh i got turned to a chair it's like okay that's that's, that's not as cool as turning to a lion or a werewolf so and and a lot of the and also in a lot of the inanimate trans so a lot of the inanimate transformation situations they wind up in tricky situations so it's not really an escapist side as well like uh i think a big portion of inanimate transformation is escapism but obviously there's a lot of there's a large portion that isn't escapism so what is it um and right now there's like no research because i i, I went through all the academic papers i went through uh, my psychology textbooks just to see if there's any close connection i think the closest thing I could compare enamored transformation to that's been talked about in research is the human furniture aspect, but a lot of enamored TF fans like that doesn't overlap with their interests. Like turning to a pool toy is not the same. That's why I kind of went through a lot of these theories, and I really uh, I, I don't think I've, I've said I, um, because I I have a lot of people come up to me after a panel saying, like, oh yeah, that's. That one is, that's, like, that's, you hit the nail on the head. That's a reason why I really like it and I didn't even realize it. And then some other people come up to me saying, oh, you, you completely forgot this. I like it because of this. I like it because of this. So it's, that's what the panel was about, was to try to get, I guess, the topic going. Just so I could see if there was any, like, larger consensus behind it. But uh, I actually have put my inanimate TF panel on hold. Like, I haven't done it in the last year because I kind of want to redo the panel when the time is right. So it's it's, it's still a lot of research I'm doing. And um, I think I put some of my videos on the topic on my YouTube channel, but uh, it's, there's definitely a lot more to cover. Yeah, there's so much to explore there. And I agree, I mean, you know, 
everyone who's into it, I've heard so many different reasons as to why people are interested in inanimate TF. And so it can be hard to make something that's going to be overarching and cover everything because there's always going to be a different personal connection that someone's made to that, be it to a particular kind of object or to a kind of like subset of inanimate TF or things like that. So, uh, I mean, I definitely cannot wait for it to come back, but I guess I'll turn the question back to you a little bit and maybe we'll start getting into, I think, the broader in it strokes inanimate TF as it kind of relates to you. Like what first drew you to inanimate TF and were there any like artists or writers in like the TF community that kind of drew you in specifically? You know, I, hmm. I don't know because it's really weird because I went, when I go back to my childhood, because all of us have like childhood nightmares or like if we saw something that scared us in the movie or TV show. And when I went back and thought about it, like all my childhood nightmares were kind of inanimate based. Like a lot of times it was a movie or TV show where someone got turned into a statue. And it's funny because they still scare me. Like, I, I wouldn't even go back and watch some of those. Like, I'm trying to think, like, the episode of uh, Magic School Buzz where Arnold takes off his space helmet and turns into, like, that crystalline structure was kind of scary. Uh, I think there's one, the uh, the Aladdin sequels, where they touch the hand of Midas and he turns into a golden statue. Like, it's weird because if I, if I watch that stuff now, I think I would like it, but... Uh, because I saw those stuff as a kid. Like, I, I'm not going to go back and look at that stuff. So it's weird that a lot of my nightmares involve what you would consider an inanimate TF. But also, I'm trying to think, because I think it definitely must have come from Animorphs. That's actually why my username is Inanimorphs, Inanimate uh, Inanimorphs. Because um, I used to really love Animorphs when I was a kid. But weirdly enough, I like the scenes in Animorphs where they turn into like more smaller helpless uh creatures like turning into fish that are out of water turning to lobsters uh that are about to be boiled turning to cockroach and being run over by a tank like all that stuff was like okay that's interesting because when you think of superhero stories like Animorphs and stuff you kind of think of the power play fantasy yeah, you could turn to a tiger, and that's really cool, but you don't really see in most fantasy situations, and I think this is why I like uh, the writings of uh, Alan Moore and Michael Moorcock now, because they completely deconstruct the power fantasy trope a lot, but back when I was a kid, almost everything was a power fantasy, and I kind of like that the Animorphs to kind of like sneak around. Okay, sometimes there's a risk. You have to turn into a fly or a cockroach to sneak into somewhere, and there's a greater chance you might get killed and i think that adds a completely new layer of excitement but fear that you are worried about the the, the characters if they'll survive or not that you wouldn't even consider if they were just a regular human going through a situation and i think i don't know in my mind i was like role-playing uh to help myself sleep i would sometimes role-play in my mind oh i'm a member of the anorth team and you know help with their adventures and i, I think just one night i just had a weird idea it's like huh what if I turn into a, like, oh, they're fishing right now and they need help catching fish. What if I turn into a fishing hook? Or it's like, oh, they need we need to download this file from the Yerk drive. And it's like, oh, what if I turn into a USB drive? Like, I started thinking of, like, weird things that I would be. And then I realized, wait, in Animorphs, there's a two-hour time limit. So let's say I turn into a, a CD and they... They use me as a CD to, like, write the files on me. That means they would also have to 
quickly transfer the files within the two hour period. And I thought, okay, that's that's an interesting risk I never considered. And it's like, okay, so yeah, it might be fun if you got stuck as an animal, but if you got stuck as an object in this situation, oh, that might be horrifying. So there's a risk of you have to beat this time limit, which intensified even more when you consider that. And I don't know, I think I really kind of started to like that idea and started to play around with that in my mind and I don't think I don't know how I ended up finding some of the art but I think some of the early artists uh, artwork that I saw that kind of touched on the animate transformation um, my friend Lance Fox he used to draw some car transformations so his fox fursona turned to a car I think that really uh, that's something that really I really enjoyed another uh, acquaintance Foxy um, she also would draw some inanimate transformation I think she, I think she was the first one to draw a donk uh, 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 pinata donkey transformation which I don't know if it subconsciously made me uh, want to have a, a pinata uh, OC but uh, I think I, I definitely remember that and uh, and it and it's because it seems like most of the inanimate uh, because like I said I'm asexual. This is a long, long before I hit puberty. So I luckily I didn't stumble on to not safe for work stuff during that time period. But it seemed like at least most of the cutesy, clean, um, family friendly inanimate transformation artwork was coming from the furry community, and uh, so that's where I kind of congregated, but I, I wasn't even really involved in the uh, furry community until I, I'm really, really late. I think like probably 2013, 2014 is really when I got started. But even before I was just, I, so I didn't even really know of these art sites. I didn't even know of fur affinity and stuff for the longest time. I'll just randomly find it in like the Google image search. It's like, okay, that one's cool and save it. And then I'll just have a flash drive of all these different uh, files. I saved completely forgot where they came from until I looked back later. It's like, okay, this is where they came from. But yeah. Yeah. It's so funny that you mentioned Lance Fox and, and Foxy too, to me, because those are definitely also the first people I saw doing an animate transformation and that kind of like turning the gears in my head and being like, hmm, that is really interesting. I'm not sure how to process this right now, but we'll come back to it later. In particular, I mean, Foxy's artwork was very influential on myself personally and i'm just glad that she's still making the stuff that she loves to make but yeah i just it's kind of interesting how it can be kind of introduced in a way that kind of percolates and then feeds into other ideas later and you know to your point around the high number of asexual people in the inanimate fandom you know i hadn't really been thinking about that before but it's true there are so many when i've met them and chatted with them that the interest is less around the not safe for work stuff and more around just like the kind of interactions that you can have when you are like turned into an object and how that can connect to other people and so you know i think there's also like there's an element of individual kinds of things having individual draws like for example people who are really into pool toy tf are into like specific reasons for pool toy tf 
and then they might be into you know turning into a chair or something for a completely different set of reasons so i was curious if you found there are different allures for different objects and things in your mind so I, I think I cover it in uh, my panel. I think I, uh, there is a version of my panel and I have the uh, Gipplier uh, video essay that I did on my YouTube channel for anyone who are curious to check that out. But I did come up with some theories because um, it's it's weird. I'm, I'm more of I'm, I'm asexual, but I'm very romantic. I like the idea of being like the idea of cutesy romance and, you know, hugging friends and all that stuff. So the I think mostly because I think a lot of us, some of us in the inanimate transformation community found it separately from furries. And like I found it separately from furries, but I only got drawn in because that's where most of the content was being produced. Uh, but most other f people would start in the furry fandom, then make their way to transformation by the way of pool toys, plushies, statues and fursuit transformations. And... Yeah, I think for a lot of that stuff, of course, there could be a lot of adult implications and a lot of adult art with that type of transformation. But I think a lot of it is because it's it's not adult, which um, makes it work. So, for example, um, pool toys and plushies are just really, really cute and adorable. So they are like kind of asking to be hugged. But pool toys and plushies... They aren't organic. They don't have reproductive organs. They don't have a biological system, so they don't have any hormones. So when you have a character hugging a pool toy or plushie, for example, it's mostly seen as very, very cute. It doesn't have to be a sexual or an adult take. It could just be nice, clean fun, which I think is uh, it's also because of the entire, I guess, negative misconception that all furries are, you know adult sexual deviants that if you draw you know too cute for sona's hugging even if it's meant to be really really cute uh you know outsiders might take it as oh that's that's weird that you're trying to put your characters in this lewd situation was like no it's just two fursonas hugging but when you have one of your fursonas is a pool toy hugging another then that, i think that's even one step more removed because like I said, they don't have any of these biological functions. So the only thing you can really take from that is, oh, they're just cutesy hugging. And I, I think, uh, like, I'm a little bit on the spectrum. I think some of the inanimate transformation people are also a little bit on the spectrum. Like, a lot of us want to be social. We want to have the friendship. We want to have the camaraderie. But we might have a hard time talking to people. We might whenever there's a group gathering or a room party, we might just be hanging out in the corner. I think inanimate transformation is a good way to kind of be a metaphor and represent being a literal, you know, chair in the corner. But <laughs> but then you have the cutesy comics where, okay, someone's turned to a pool toy or a plushie, and then someone says, oh, how cute, goes up and hugs them. And the character's initially grumpy because, they, you know, they they don't understand, you know, being hugged or emotional contact but then once they start enjoying it, it's like okay that's that's kind of nice and i, I kind of like that where you have the mental state it's like uh oh, don't hug me oh, okay that's that feels nice okay continue hugging me and like i said a lot of the characters are begging to be hugged the pool toys the plushies all that stuff and i think it's just a really really cute way just to represent a platonic friendship or platonic interaction without some of the overhead that you would get in any other situation so I don't know. That's one of my theories. I'm not sure if it applies specifically for me, but it's it's something that I've thought up of many times because, like I said, it's it's surprising how 
there is such a large ace representation within the enamorate transformation community. Yeah, no, absolutely. And so then I guess the flip side of that, and maybe this kind of throws a wrench into the theory a little bit, obviously there are also people who are into inanimate TF within the furry community who do view it as like kind of a more sexual charged thing and in particular can be into the exact same things we just went through you know the pool toys the plushies etc and view that in a different way so do you think that obviously the draw there is is kind of different but do you think that that in any way undermines your theory or do you think that it only kind of enhances it because there's different kind of ways people approach an animate yeah like it's 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 just one of the many flavors like on one hand i don't want to say oh the furry community is completely full of sexual deviant but but you know having being a historian in this area the historian of conventions and the fandom scene it's also hard to ignore and it wouldn't be appropriate to uh, ignore that side of the community especially since a lot of the original founding members of the community the furry fandom was an outlet to express a lot of this um a lot of representation especially during the period where it was not um it was not socially acceptable to be queer or trans um and even today it's it's, it's still looked down upon like look at all the laws being passed now but i think it's a uh, enam i think enamant tf is just a blank canvas for you to kind of pace whatever you want because like i said it's interesting that it's a larger asexual community within the furry community but like i said the other two pockets of the enamant transformation um communities the uh you have the uh, like i said you have the bdm sm side which is, seems to be more submissive and then you have the japanese dating sim side which seems to be more dominant so i think it's a way for people to express all these different aspects of it so i think it's really like a a multi-rung element for inanimate transformation and that's why I, I that's why i've been slowly i haven't posted as much on my main account because i know every time i post an inanimate tf most of my normie followers get weirded out and unfollow so i've been mostly trying to post it on my inanimate uh, inanimorphs account but that's why i've been trying to slowly put almost all my stories have some type of inanimate transformation and and at first I, I was worried okay i'm doing this too much but you know, if Alan Moore could put his magic lectures in every single of his comics and Tarantino could put feet in all his movies, and it's like, okay, I could put an anime transformation <laughs> in my works. Why not? And I think it's a great way to normalize it because, like I said, aside from being seen as something that could be sexual, most of the mainstream perception of an amateur TF is through horror media or through comedy, like Pickle Rick. And I'm like saying, no, just like how shapeshifting could be this wide genre that could cover a bunch of different elements and storytelling uh, narratives, I think an amateur TF can also be a much wider genre and cover a bunch of different types of stories. And I really want to normalize it so we could see a wider range of stories that transcend all these different niches that dynamic transformation have kind of be subcategorized in. So yeah, um, it definitely there is a larger uh, element within the adult side. In fact, I think the only inanimate TF stories I've seen published uh, self-published through amazon kindle have all been adult and i think uh, most of them were actually written by non-furry so like i said it's, it's, it's definitely a, a larger adult community outside the furry side but i would love to see a bunch of uh, enamored transformation stories that you know 
don't focus on that because it's already dominating. Just like it's it's valid that there's a lot of it, but just like how okay, we already have a l- enough superhero comics. Maybe it's time to have a western or a space opera comic now. I think uh, it's like no, now's the right time to have a lot of different type of name TF stories that could cover a bunch of different drones like imagine a, a a detective who could turn to different objects and you know help spy uh, and help solve the case or um you know the fantasy story where he's like okay it's the isekai the guy turns to the sword but he's like a sword in his own right and is able to like battle and fight the monsters like there's a lot of interesting ideas you can do with it that i don't see represented and like i said it could it could cover it could be a metaphor for a lot of things like i said it could be a metaphor for being a social it could be a metaphor for like being maybe closeted it could be a metaphor for bdsm a metaphor for hypnosis a metaphor for being owned but it could also be a metaphor for a lot of different elements like friendship or depression or loneliness or feeling like you belong like there's a lot of different things uh, an amit tf could represent that's why i think it's great there's a wide wide range of an amit even though i might not enjoy or might not uh, read all of it or watch all of it i i enjoy that i have a lot of friends who do draw a very very diverse range of an amit transformation artwork and stories and it's at least out there in the furry community and i think it's definitely slowly seep into mainstream consciousness uh especially with gipulator i think was a good example about that but who knows there's a lot of stuff yeah. to do with that yeah and i think it's good to have that kind of variety because you know like you said if you have a lot of one thing i, I mean to be honest people not everyone will tire of just all of the same thing but some people will because you know as as uh, human beings, unfortunately, we do like variety. <laughs> in in most cases, you can't just live off of one thing or only do one thing. Like we we all have a myriad of interests and drivers that bring us forward. So I definitely think it's good to have that kind of built-in variety, and I do hope to continue to see that variety when it comes to Nanimate TF. But one thing I'll also kind of touch on because I feel like this comes up a lot with people who don't really understand the appeal behind an animate TF is what happens when you have an animate transformation, what happens to the mind. There's a lot of people who approach this from a very existential perspective. There's often a discussion around like, is this the death of the individual? Is there attained sentience, that kind of thing? So I was curious to get your thoughts on what you think about that contrast with the sometimes bad end versus good end when it comes to inanimate TF content, be it permanent or with some sort of a shape-shifting back kind of element. Yeah, so I think that's I, I think that's a discussion that the uh, the transformation community as a whole always has. Like I know every time I do my panel or go to a meetup, there's always the debate between um, you know losing your mind completely or. Um, or keeping your sentience and I, I yeah and i think people say it's a good end or bad end. i i don't think we sh- we should say good end or bad end because it's like you know someone who might think it's a bad end uh, another person might think it's a good end um i personally do not uh, again i i can understand why other people like it because it definitely follows the escapism route but i personally do not like losing your consciousness when you turn to the object because or any transformation I, for me personally the purpose of transformation is having fun and exploring your new body and if you completely lose your mind then what's the point like you know y- you want to explore a new body and that's actually why i think 
a lot of the stories I've written and art I've drawn is is different from a lot of the furry TF artwork that you or stories that you might see because I like to I don't even a lot of furries like to when they do transformation like to focus on the transformation itself and then the story ends after they transform. I personally am a post transformation person. I love what happens after a person's transform. It's like, okay, you got turned to a chair in the middle of a convention center. What now? I want to see that story. And most of my stories, I, in fact, I might not even write or draw the transformation sequence. It just takes place right after the transformation because I want to see what plays out there. So I personally like the idea of exploring that. But also, again, this part, this goes back to some of the psychology theories I kind of was looking into. It's a form of ex uh, the people who do like the identity theft is a it's a kind of form of escapism because, yeah, I, I don't know how to say it without trigger warning, but you know, a lot of people in a lot of these communities um, sometimes do get depressed, and you know, the community is always an outlet for them, and sometimes some people, you know, you know, think about you know, okay, how how about I just end it. And I think transformation is a safe way to not really go too deep into that because it's like, okay, my current human life is bad, but if I turn to a statue, then maybe in a thousand years, I'll be reanimated again and maybe life will be better in a thousand years. And I think that's where a lot of people like, that's why a lot of inanimate transformation in the early days also had a big time skip because it's like, yeah, life sucks. I don't like my current life. So it's like, okay, put life on pause. It's a safe way to put life on pause. And maybe you could turn back into a human in a week. And it's like, okay, I feel much better now. I Now I could function again. Or you turn back into a human in like 3,000 years because you're stuck as a statue. And it's like, okay, well, it's a new society. It's a new life for me to live. So on one angle, I think it's, I call it the, I call it a safe a safe form of escapism to explore a lot of those thoughts that might some might be seen as negative. And then on the other hand, I call it I I call this theory the sense of belonging theory. Because um so in most animal transformation stories, when you when it involves escapism, you kind of even if you don't lose your mind completely, you eventually give in to the animal mind. Uh, with inanimate transformation, um, so you know our current human world is ironic, is paradoxical because in the past you were mostly raised from childhood for a specific job role or profession. Now in the modern world, you're kind of free to kind of do or be anything. Like you could be a race car driver, an astronaut, even maybe a president of a country. So you have a lot of options for what you want to be. And I think the irony of that is, especially our generations, uh, the, the millennials, Gen X, the Zoomers, they kind of are in this world where Everyone is telling you, okay, yeah, you could choose anything now, but you have to choose. You have to choose your career in high school. You have to figure out what career you want to do when you get to college. And sometimes we study like eight years for a degree and realize we hate the job. And so the paradox of being free in this modern world to choose any profession or go or career you want is you might not know what you're good or best at. And I think Inanimate transformation solves this in a lot of cases because if you all of a sudden get turned into a chair, 
a chair really only has one function to be sat on. And if you fulfill that role, you did your job. Uh, if you turn to a car, a car's job is to help the driver get from point A to point B. And once you do that, you fulfill your job. So I think the idea of an animate transformation from another angle is you you are now built for a specific purpose and now you know what your function is and i think there's a lot of relief to the acceptance of okay i'm just a table i'm just a bicycle okay life makes sense it's much simple and much clear so it's the it's kind of similar to giving into the animal mind uh but from an object perspective so that's what i was kind of thinking about when i when i was doing my research into it yeah, there's definitely a lot of parallels there. And I will say, you know, the purpose angle definitely is something that I've heard people talk about before. And, you know, be it, you know, asexual or sexual in either way, like, there's a sense of like, feeling good that you have like fulfilled whatever it is that you're supposed to be doing as an object that is often factored into these changes. And it makes sense that, you know, in a world where things can feel so overwhelming and you can feel paralyzed with indecision or not really know where you're going in life or what to do with yourself, doing an inanimate TF is a way to solve all those questions because now you just kind of have one thing that you're going to do and you're going to do it and it's going to be great because you're already made to do that thing anyways. Um, there's not really a struggle there. You're just fulfilling that one purpose that's been dictated by the form you're now occupying. So I definitely see that appeal. And I think that it's really interesting that inanimate TF in particular, because so much of it is centered around like the use of something in its new form, it really is heavily related to socially relating to other people. And so I know we talked already about how, you know, for example, people on the spectrum, it's a way to almost be like a social thing now because you are interacting with people in a way that just is the boundaries are very clear and it's a kind of a set process. But I was curious if you had any other thoughts on the relationship between inanimate TF fans and becoming an object and the people that then would use them and interact with them socially. I think there's a, a definitely a very, very QC personal element to it. Um, and a lot of art, someone turns into like a cloth, uh, a, a shirt, for example, or a hoodie, and they get worn. And that's seen as like something that's nice and comforting. Like you're, you as a hoodie are comforting a friend or the friend wearing you is comforting you. I think there's, it, it also like puts you in a place of being helpful or useful, which I really like. Uh, it's like, oh, a friend needs a wrench and you turn to a wrench for them. You're being helpful. Um, I like it's it's an idea I like of being social and helpful, but without, you know, the human being socially human, because I think that's that's kind of the weird thing is like interact like it's easier sometimes to interact with friends online. And then when you meet them at cons or in person, it's sometimes hard to kind of function and i think an animate transformation is a great way to kind of show that form of social relatability or companionship or helpfulness but in this you know inhuman way um which i like and that's that's a lot of stuff i want to explore with i, I have a lot of like inanimate tf comic ideas that are in the back burner that would that 
touches a lot of this topic. And that's actually why it's like a little bit tricky for me to do my panel. So, you know, my, my, my username transformative covers like the two aspects, the transformation, but also the notion of transformative art. So a lot of my panels and uh, video essays fall under the definition of transformative art. Um, so I'm trying to take what's around and transform it. But it's also tricky because like, for example, when I do my name and transformation panel i'm i normally ask people um I, I i always try to ask people to give me art to put in the slides but sometimes you know i i i can't find the right one so i might have to use another uh, art piece that fits the mold but uh i've been even though i would be able to use it under the transformative clause definition because it's an educational topic i sometimes i've actually been trying to avoid that lately which is actually why i've been uh, putting my panel on pause because I, I would rather draw the art myself to show it from my angle to show it's very personal because at the same time a lot of this artwork is also personal for the individuals who are being represented in that and I and so I think people should be respectful of that element as well um, because it's it, there's a lot of like I think it's a it's it's a it's a way for us to kind of express ourselves, uh, especially if we're doing it through art that we can't express in human form. And I think um, definitely art has a transformative purpose. Like, uh, like again, that's the other side of my username. And I want to get to the point where we could express some of these emotions with my with our art. That's what I've been trying to do with my art is express it, which is why it's been kind of hard because like I that's why like. Most of them at transformation for the longest time, especially outside of the furry fandom, like I said, kind of looked like nightmare horror field. Like you draw a human face on an object that's very scary looking. Like even Disney, like it, like when they did Beauty and the Beast, was like kind of borderline. Uh, and then when you when they did the live action one, okay, it was completely nightmare horror field. That's why I've been trying to draw my <laughs> object transformation as cutesy as possible to try to avoid that. But even as much as I try to draw as nice and cutesy as possible, some people are still off-putted by that um so that's why i've been trying to tackle it in a way where okay hopefully i could explore it in this manner because like i said there's a lot of elements you could explore like um as opposed to most animal transformations you see in mainstream media which is always action pack action pack action pack stories um i think animate transformation falls in line with more slice of life stories more simple stories and that's where an animate transformation to be exploring. That's actually why I think it's ironic that the one, the, the two mainstream inanimate TF stuff that has come out lately, Pickle Rick and Gipglear, they're both action-packed stories because that's the opposite of what an animate transformation normally represents. Yeah, no, absolutely. So then, you know, I want to touch on some of the projects that you've got ongoing, but before we do, I'll ask one last question. Are there any inanimate TFs that you feel are like particularly out there or strange are there any that you don't really enjoy exploring yeah yeah and i don't want to uh, offend people like because like i said i like inanimate tf that a lot of people a lot of my friends don't like and i have a lot of friends who do cover some of the stuff that i might not enjoy but i understand it's valid for them so and yeah, every viewpoint is valid here, yeah. in my opinion. So, like, I'm not... It's, it's weird, because I think body part TF is kind of weird. I, I, that, I think that's borderline animate TF, because you're still technically turning to an organic thing, but body parts, eh, it's not really my thing. It, it, okay, it's ironic. I really don't like transformations that 
involve like a lot of like musk smell like being uh being stunk up it's weird because i do like a lot of objects that could be used in those ways like i really love t-shirt tf i love towel tf i love shoe tf like that's stuff that you could wear those things and get sweaty and completely make make the object very very smelly and for some reason i don't like it like that's why an amit tf is a is for me it only it could only exist as escapism in this fantasy realm because if an amit transformation happened in real life like I, I would definitely partake but i don't think i would enjoy it as much because of that stuff and i like that in fiction and fantasy if you don't want this person to be sweating or making a mess then it's not going to happen um so i don't really like that stuff i'm trying to think there's some really weird ones like like I, I like puzzle piece TFs. Like you can break up into little pieces, but sometimes there's there's some weird ones where you break up into all these different like elements, like marbles and stuff, or a pile of coins. Um, I don't know. It depends on mood because there could be cases where I enjoy it. There's some cases where I don't. Um, but most of the times I don't like the I don't like enamel TS where you just lose your consciousness completely. Like I would if I get turned to a statue, I want to experience being a statue, even if it's completely boring and I'm sitting there for hours and days and maybe even years on a like in storage. I still want to experience that. Um, but yeah, it's stuff where you mostly get all musked up and stuff. Um, it's food is interesting because I do like food TF, but I'm not into vor, so I like. Yeah, the idea I'm there too actually yeah it's like i love <laughs> the idea of like maybe a friend who transforms you is teasing you or you have a close call you get turned into a slice of cake and someone who doesn't know about it is about to eat you and you're safe at the very last minute so it's i, I think inanimate tf for me is i like it because it adds a new element of risk which means you have a new type of adventure you can't explore so i love the risk you're more vulnerable in a new inanimate form and now because you're vulnerable simple everyday situations can now seem like giant fantasy style adventures to you so i, I that's why i like but. no that's nice i i like that kind of spin on it so that i think that's a a cool way to view it well actually before we move on since you really you also love an amit tf as well uh you love pool toy tf so i kind of want to hear your perspective of why you like it yeah i mean for me, pool toy, it fits a few different things. The first one, which I always say when people ask me, is that I find it to be gender affirming. I really like the no bulge stuff. And that to me, it just feels more at home than a lot of the other forms that I might be able to pick. So that one is definitely a part of it. And I often associate that with like more of like a quasi-sexual nature. So I know pool toys don't actually have hormones, but I like to think that that feels good. And I think the second element is that with pool toys in particular, they are associated with like having a good time and people getting to, you know, like enjoy playing with them or using them or what have you. And, you know, they get to like lays around they don't have to like do anything necessarily but they do get touched quite a bit which is nice and they always have like this cheesy grin on their face and i really do like the cheesy grin element i don't know i think that you know there's something that is imbued there with just always being happy even if that's not necessarily like quote-unquote true with regardless of whatever like situation you're thinking of for them but to me i like to think that that really extends and that I think is really nice too. And then, you know, there's also like the tactile 
nature. I like latex and like those kinds of uh, materials outside of inanimate TF in general. And so having that as one's like form, I think is really cool and would feel really nice. So it's kind of all of those things wrapped into one. And um, I think also like to touch on something you were saying earlier, there's always the discussion about deflation with pool toys. I personally like more of the risk that's potentially associated with that than actually being deflated. Although like, honestly, I'll do whatever. But I think that that element of risk that you were mentioning does play a little bit into it there as well. But I personally am the kind of person who's like, if I were to like turn into a pool toy, I would want it to be with people who like know and will like take good care of me because I want to be taken like good care of. I'm less into like the, oh, I turned into like a, a random pool toy and now some people are gonna like roughhouse with me i'm like no 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 i want people to respect me in my new oh, form and same. you know show me a good time yeah. so you know I, I always gravitate towards that so you're you're less because like i said some some of the name tf is the degrading element so but you're less of wanting to be degraded as well yeah, I'm, I'm less about the degraded. There are, like, some exceptions with, like, particular objects, but even in those exceptions, it's less about, like, degrading and more about, like, a, a sexual pleasure there. So, you know, I just, I've, I generally find that if I'm going to become something, I don't want to be, like, taken bad care of or, like, oh, like, you know, you're an object and you get to the end of your useful life and then you get thrown away or something like that. That I absolutely do not like. I do not want to get <laughs> thrown away or anything like that. And so, um, yeah, I just, I really like the idea of interacting with other people socially. Often either they know or they don't know, but, like, at least treating the object that I've become with respect, so. And you also mentioned something that I, I think I should have covered on uh, the gender-affirming thing, which... I think in retrospect, it's probably why I like it because I'm non-binary and the thing with objects are objects technically don't have a gender. Like there's technically no male chair, no female chair. And I kind of like that aspect as well. So um, I don't think it was the reason, but in retrospect, I could understand why I like an Amit TF being a non-binary asexual who still wants to have like nice platonic uh relationships with friends like it all makes sense because like you said yeah there's also the it de also depends on how you're treated as the object if you're being degraded that's one thing but most of the times if you're, if you're a cutesy pool toy with a big cute grin most of the time people just want to take care of you and bring you to parties and there's there's some fun element to that yeah absolutely and um you know, I do also enjoy like the pool toys that do have more mobility, like the like quote unquote animate inanimates. Those are always fun too. Um, but frankly, I do lean a little bit almost towards the ones that can't move around because there is something interesting about the immobility to me. Oh so. yeah, though no, that's actually one element I I, I think uh, that's another thing we probably should talk about. We should talk about is do you turn into a, a mobile object or do you turn into an immobile object? So like, because in some cases you could still move like, you know, brave low toaster toy story style of rules. And in some cases you're completely still and you can't move. I personally, all my favorite stories are, you could s slightly move, but you kind of choose not to, uh, to avoid, to avoid embarrassment or confrontation. So, I, I think my uh, I think I've described it in my panel sometimes. It's like okay, you get turned into a chair, right? 
And then you're like slowly checking out, okay, I'm a cheer now. You're looking at your legs. You look at yourself in the mirror. Then instantly a friend comes into the room and it's like, oh, what's that chair doing there? And in most of these stories, you have one or two options. Uh, so this is like your choose your own adventure style things. In most cases, it's like, help, I'm a cheer. I'm a cheer. Uh, help change me back. And your friend will see a, a moving cheer. It's like, oh, that, oh, is that you, Dave? Well, that's kind of cute. That's kind of funny. Okay, yeah, sure, I'll help you. Um, and then there's the other angle where it's like, okay, um, if I talk or move around, it's going to freak him out. So I'm just going to stay as still as possible. And then I like that element where, okay, the friend comes up. Oh, what's this random cheer doing here? Carefully inspects you. And then they might pick you up, put you in the pile. And then they start like, okay, I'm going to put you here. I'm going to put you there. Oh, oh, maybe I should engrave my name on you so people know uh, you're mine. And then it's like, okay, when do you... And then at that point, it's going through your mind. When do you talk? When do you talk? Because it's like... Yeah, it's, when do you say yeah, something? Yeah, so I, I personally like it. Because if you turn to a pool toy, it's like, oh, who left this cute pool toy here? It might be embarrassing to talk at that point. So you try to stay as still as possible. Try to act like a cute pool toy. But then it might get to the point where the party's over. And they have to deflate all the pool toy. And you don't want to be able to flight and it's like oh shoot if i if i say something now then it's going to make the entire last hour at the party kind of embarrassing um <laughs> if, if not then then i'm going to be deflated so i love yeah. i love that element where it's like you kind of can have the option to move but most of the time you try not to move be, uh it's, it's a social thing you don't want to draw attention to yourself like you want to keep to yourself draw as low attention to yourself as possible don't interact socially but then there's a always a point where you either have to say something or not and i i think most of my stories revolve around that and i really love that element yeah no i love that tension too that's a really great point and i do like that about the ones where there is that more animate kind of option so i definitely uh concur on that front so but yeah i know you know i wanted to make sure we left some time as well to talk about some of the ongoing projects that you've been working on or thinking about or of doing and you know one of the ones that i know you and i have talked about in the past and has kind of been percolating to some degree i always hear it come up is the idea of like a tf specific con or a tf specific kind of event and i know that like you know back in the day the uh the Transformation Story Archive used to do an event every year and it would move around in different places and then that kind of died out. But I was curious to hear a little bit more as to what your like specific thoughts were on this. Yeah, so I think this might be the first place where I kind of am mentioning it publicly, but there is a potential that I will be trying to host a TF-specific convention. Um, I was originally planning sometimes... Uh, this year in October of November, but I'm not sure there's enough time for that. So I think I want to build a community before we get to the point. So um, I guess if you guys are interested, uh, keep posted. And I think the best thing to do is to host a small like online TFCon and then gradually go into that. But it, it comes down my idea because I, I like I said, I, I so I originally went to military school. I was a cadet officer, so I, I have I know all the leadership stuff. I used to staff cons. I used to um, run departments. Um, was acting con chair for a few cons, um, and then of course I do the con history stuff. So I'm coming into this already knowing all this convention stuff like way more than what most newbies know and i've been always thinking you should put your talent because a lot of people say you would if you went back to running and staffing cons you would do a good job and it's like yeah but it has to be a theme that i really am interested in 
Yeah. So you have to be passionate. Yeah. So I've been, and, and that's the problem because I'm already too focused on vending at cons. Like I said, this is my full-time job. So I'm not sure when the time to do this is because I would have to at least invest 10 K of my own money into this. And that's money I might never get back. Um, even if we did a fundraiser, it's still a big risk. Like I have covered so many first year cons that completely failed and, uh, I want to avoid something like that. But no, there's been an idea to have a TF-specific con. And the problem is, I think if it's just furry TF, it would be too niche. So my idea would be to host it as a shapeshifter werewolf, maybe a shapeshifter werewolf therein type convention that tries to, like I say, unite all these different pockets of the transformation community together. Because, like I said, you have transformation fans in the anime the horror the fantasy genre as well as in the furry genre so i think the safest way to do it would be to do an all-purpose transformation style convention and get like guests who are like i already the uh get guests who are heavily involved with transformation from the outside world. So the people who worked on Animorphs, for example, the people who worked on American Dragon, uh, the people who worked on Teen Wolf, that would be your potential for having guests. Like they might not be specifically furry related, but it's general enough that you might pull in outsiders. So I think like if a transformation event would be done, it has to take place outside of the furry community um, but also embracing the furry side. So it would be a general all-purpose con that focuses on that. And then I think if it's successful, then the following years you could focus on different themes each year because then you could focus on different communities. Like the next year you could focus on like the Brony fandom and have people who worked on Equestria Girls and stuff or Changelings be in that, involved with that. Then you go to the anime side. Like I said, you have the Isekai, the Henshin genre. Technically, Magical Girl is a type of transformation. So you could have like more anime focus at future years. Then, like like I said, you have your fantasy and your horror elements. You have your druid shapeshifters. You have your werewolves. There's, so there's a lot of different niche topics we could touch on and also you from the more spiritual end like a lot of fantasy cons lately have been more in tune with uh new age and shamanism and druidic traditions and i think you could definitely have a convention actually it might not even be a convention at this point it might be a conference but you could have a conference of different shamans and therans to kind of talk about this topic uh, i think that's something i should have mentioned earlier like i was raised in a Taoist shaman family so transformation for me also comes from a different spiritual root as opposed to just being mere entertainment it comes from a different spiritual root for me and i think there is also that element you could touch on so there's a so i've been brainstorming there's a lot of potential ideas for what a transformation con for be um so what i'm trying to do right now is build a because i know people asked me to make a discord group in the past um so i want to make a convention specific discord group so this would be one where people can talk about so it could talk about different cons that are coming up to help coordinate uh, TF meets and dinners and showcase TF panels. Um, but I was thinking it might be fun to maybe uh, maybe twice a month have a, a TF movie sh uh, showing and then eventually evolve that into an online convention. And then if that online convention is successful, then move into a um, an in-person event. But there, there's some stuff going around. Uh, keep in touch. Uh, keep uh, stay tuned because 
there is, there are, I have some friends who are running an idol convention, um, so Japanese idols, and I, I was thinking of sharing a venue space with them because it, it, their event is a small 200-person event. I honestly don't think a transformation con, especially the first year, will have more than 100 or 200 attendees, so we were thinking maybe splitting the venue and having that so there might be something this year if not i might also be testing the waters i'm gonna if i could get sweets at some of these future cons i want to throw a room party that would be a transformation room party uh because if you look at my con history stuff almost every single con evolved from a room party that was held at a previous con so there's a lot of different outlets for transformation there's a lot of people in the community we could tap as guests Uh, there's a lot of people outside the community who are kind of big enough names that the public might be interested in so I have the template there. I've been working on this idea for at least four or five years now. It's just when do I want to pull the trigger? Like, and how much money do I want to risk? Because most of these first year cons will do a GoFundMe or fundraiser, take pre-sales. And if they fail, it makes the backers lose their money. I don't want to risk backers money. So for me, if I did it, I would be investing my own money. Um, so it's a risk, but it, it the idea is there. I just have to have the right time and the right focus on it. And right now, it's it, it's 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 I have too much projects I'm working on right now. So if there's people who are interested <laughs> in helping out, if you have previous con experience, yeah, let me know. We talk with me. Yeah, I was gonna say as well. You know, it's easier than ever these days to host something online with you know VR chat or. Uh, Neos or Chillo VR or any of these other platforms and you know the funny thing I'll say is that I know of already meetups that happen in VR chat and in Neos where people have already like organized groups to have like weekly TF meetups and stuff like that so I definitely feel like there's an opportunity there if you wanted to do it online for like the first year to do it I we've seen many conventions particularly during the pandemic do an online version so it's definitely possible and I mean hey I'm all for an in-person TFCon too so if that comes through that would be awesome I think there's a lot of people who would be interested in that it's really just a matter of uh, when it happens so I guess then if people are interested they should reach out to you on Twitter Yep, definitely. Um, and I actually, I and I already have a solid team because the people who are doing the idol convention, they also helped founded the first virtual con of uh, the pandemic lockdown. Uh, Pony Fest Online was the first online con during the pandemic, and that's become the template of almost every single online con now. And definitely, I I think they're interested and want to be involved because they are. Uh, they're they're not involved with the furry side of TF community, but they're also big TF fans as well. So. If I ever pull the trigger, I know there's a strong team behind it. Like I would, like almost every department would be run by someone who was previously a conjurer of a, at least a few thousand attendee convention. Um, so there would be a strong team behind it. I'm even thinking AV team would be strong because most of the friends who run AV at the Pony and Furry cons are also transformation fans. So I'm like, it would be a very very strong staff. It would. So uh, I, I don't think actually staffing would be the problem. I think yeah, the main thing would be interest. How much. Can we get from the furry side and how much can we get from the public side? Because um, like thinking from the perspective as a vendor like myself, um, like I don't think such a con will be worth it for me to vend there because even though I have a concentration of people, 
the amount of attendees would probably be so small, I might not even break even. So how are we going to attract vendors to come to these cons knowing they might lose out, um, but at least help build a solid foundation? And also, I think there's a lot of different areas that haven't been tapped that other that furry cons kind of avoid. Like, there's a lot of fantasy writers who write TF stories, like... Oh, you've been turned to a dragon or you've been turned to a unicorn. Like that might be great to invite a lot of those people there to do it. And then also there's another element that furry cons don't have. Like um, I think in some of the larger cons, it's called a celebrity zoo. But you have a row of people of like uh, B-list, C-list celebrities who starred in like old TV shows or movies. And you could easily get a lot of people who were like in some old werewolf movie or TV show do signings. Like there so there I think there's there's a lot of elements, but it's like I'm not sure at least for the first year there'll be a big enough attendance to make it worth it for the potential. But so if we did do it, it would be basically what uh, what's called in the uh, convention scene a relaxicon. So relaxicon focuses less on programming, musical events, or vendors, and focuses more on the gathering aspect. So I'm thinking it might be a relaxicon. I even had an idea um, because I live in Orlando, so I only live like 15 minutes away from Megaplex. I had an idea of maybe just even seeing if I could book a a, a separate meeting or ballroom in the same venue as Megaplex and just have like a mini TF specific room for TF fans just to gather. So, I mean, there's a lot of ideas. It just really depends on cons because I think it kind of work as like a small room. It could work as a room party before going up to the size, but I don't know. Just, it's just one of the many ideas I want to focus on. So. And the location is obviously the big question as well. Like where are you going to hold it? Right. So obviously, I mean, you know, you'd probably have to pick somewhere that you could actually like manage if you were going to do it. But there's always a question of like, yeah, what would be the ideal spot? So I was actually because most of my friends who used to run conventions are in Seattle. And right now there's really no major furry con in Seattle. So I'm thinking that might be the area to do it, especially since the current convention that's kind of overlapping with furries uh have kind of i think some of them have alienated the local seattle furry scene there so since all my friends are already in seattle and you already have people who are longing for a traditional furry con there that might be a potential area seattle has some really really good venues by SeaTech. um san jose is another traditional area that a lot of the major cons have come from like uh most cons could trace their evolution to a room party at a uh, san jose convention uh so that's where um uh, further confusions held that's where paw con is held so san jose is another potential area i was looking into maybe even close by the san francisco airport um berlin game uh, is where babs con is held i think that venue might be great f- for a transformation con or like i said uh orlando i live in orlando now um there's a bunch of different venues here in orlando which might be fun and it would work because it's right by the disney theme parks and as you know disney disney has been you know the uh, the center of a lot of transformation media so like yeah be, that's true <laughs> it'll be a perfect overlap so i mean they're, they're I, i've already been looking at different venues uh the only issue is because there's been such a big rise of furry cons lately i don't want it to really overlap with any furry con um ah uh, yeah so it's picking the time's gonna be hard yeah um my original idea was to hold it maybe in october or maybe around halloween so you could kind of keep the werewolf 
theme going like because i think the the natural way to do it is to do it through the route of werewolves so i already have i already have the i I already have the mask on everything planned like because it's a transformation convention i always would want it that our charity would always be a trans charity and for that i was always thinking the 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 mascot would be a trans werewolf um Oh yeah, yeah, I like that. Yeah, so I, I have a cute idea of a werewolf wearing maybe a binder or with top surgery. I think that might be a cute mascot. But uh, I, I, I was thinking if I did hold the event, it I think October would probably be the best time for it because it would tap into that werewolf market. And my friends who are doing their idol convention, they normally hold it around October and November. So maybe if we could partner up, that, that might work. <laughs> that could work, yeah. No, that makes sense. I do want to give you some more time for the other projects you want to mention. So maybe we can quickly hit on them. I know you've been working potentially on a, on an anthology or a magazine. Yeah. So the, so I guess it's very similar to the, uh, to the TF convention scene, uh, idea. Um, there's a lot of different ideas, um, we could draw from the science fiction and fantasy community, which I haven't seen as, even though the furry community has come from that angle, I haven't seen the TF community really touch on some of these elements. So I've had some ideas because like I said, uh, my purpose is two routes. Transformative means I want to make transformative art and transformation art. And from the transformative angle, I want to build a larger community to make TF a more public identity so i've had some ideas so right now i've been working on a few tf comics uh, if you see my web comic would have bit you it's about the mouse and snake shapeshifter but i've been trying to work on a bunch of different ones that could be more accepting to public audiences so i've been working on my shapeshifter school idea that's one i've been trying to kind of build a new identity around but i think one thing that uh science fiction does really well is they're really good with doing uh, uh, short story anthologies and zines and I think there is a chance because there's so many talented TF writers out there that we could build oh, yeah. if not if not a monthly maybe twice a year a, 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 a an anthology zine that collects some of the best uh, TF stories already out there um, but also opens the floor for new writers to submit new stories for that so that's an idea i had and then from the comic book uh perspective i think a comic anthology i already tested this out back i think in 2017 i did a small comics anthology that collected a bunch of artwork from different tf artists i think that would be a way to do it so doing uh doing maybe short four-page comics and collecting it all into a, a some type of anthology would be a great way to get more TF comics out there. I know there's a lot of good comics out there that use TF to represent, you know, anxiety or affirming um, relationships, all that stuff that could be easily collected. Um, And I think uh, TF as a theme is very, very artsy as well. So I don't know, maybe if there's enough good comics, we can even submit it for like an Eisner or Harvey award. So that's not that would be pretty cool. Yeah, that's another <laughs> idea I have. And connecting with the story and zine idea, most new zines that most new like if you think of ones like uh, Clark's World, Escape Pod, and Candy Magazine, most of the 
uh, science fiction um, story anthologies also have an accompanying podcast. Uh, I know you have your podcast here, and it's funny because you started this podcast right around the same time I was wanting to do my podcast. But I think one <laughs> one story that, and I think you're doing a jo- good job. That's just why it's like I, I, I don't need to do. It. That's why I don't need to do it. But um, most of them have an accompanying podcast that read the stories. So I think that might be fun is to have release these short stories as a zine but also have a podcast where we pay like some talented tf um voice actors to just read out the stories and you know that's a that's a great way to get involved as well um i i just i have to say it's so funny you mentioned that because i have played around with that idea before myself of like what if i like read out store tf stories as like a a tier on patreon or just like an additional little extra thing or something like that so it's funny you mentioned that because that idea has definitely crossed my mind before and as someone who has done voice acting it's it's a very fun thing to do um but also to your point of i think just doing the anthology it's such a cool idea to me and the one thing i wanted to mention is it gives me very strong tsa vibes because I know yeah. we initially kind of started out as like an email serve. And I just, I think it would be fantastic to have the return of something like that because I think it's just been sorely missing from the community Definitely. for a long time. I think T- TSA is where a lot of people got their start with uh, transformation stories. And I wish, yeah. and I think we need something to fill that void. And I think taking yeah. the science fiction route is a great way to do it because, so that's why actually why, if you notice like anything involving the word TF or shifter as a uh, domain name has kind of been taking up recently is because i've been just spending my own money to buy them just in case but i'm thinking having one so wanting one large parent company that focuses on tf media and then you subdivide it into a story anthology a story podcast a comic anthology and then the the, the forefront and, and, and even the convention could be under this umbrella but i think the forefront would be nonfiction articles so having articles written from like for example i'm a geneticist so maybe from the genetics perspective of maybe what can you do with transformation or like i like i said i've been doing research into the history of transformation folklore so having like articles about history folklore psychology maybe even having therians and people who are interested from this side from another angle having write articles for that that might be a fun magazine so having a non-fiction magazine that collects all these different elements so i'm thinking so i'm already playing now you could build this large ts uh tf empire that is meant to be kind of an ambassador to the main public and eventually branch herself out there because i think we have so many talented artists and writers and comic creators in the tf community and i honestly say a lot of this stuff is better than the stuff that's getting nominated for the eisners or the hugos or the nebula awards that if we could collect it all publish it in a semi-professional manner then we could start submitting it to a lot of these different awards and kind of get uh, TF more public out there and e- even in the uh, furry community we have the Ursa Major Awards there's very little yeah, that's true. There's very, but there's a little, very little TF media that's being uh, nominated there so I'm thinking that might be a great way to do it and if not that's also a great way to maybe have our own TF award show that could help honor people in the community who do great TF artwork and you know that TF award show might be presented at a TF convention so I mean all this stuff are just different puzzle pieces in this larger thing but like I said I'm a single person I have so many ideas and projects I want to work on that if if someone wants to help with this like the potential is there we just need the manpower so 
Yeah. No, that's always the struggle. It's always finding people who are willing to do some of like the groundwork to get the stuff off the floor. But I think a lot of it is really worthwhile and it has a lot of potential. So um, I am hoping that uh, people would be show interest in, and take you upon some of that. I did want to leave time for the audience questions because we do have three and I think we've answered some of them to some degree already, but we'll go through all of them regardless. So the first question we have is from Skylar J and Skylar J asks, let's say you can turn into any creature you want for a week, but the catch is that your size would be the opposite of what's generally associated with the species relative to a human. So you could choose to become a giant rat or you could become a small elephant or something like that. With that in mind, what would you turn into and why? Oh, so like like I said with the early animorph stuff, I love like small bug or fish transformation. And even when I like with inanimate TF now, I love turning to small handheld objects. So I think I would definitely turn into something that might be naturally large. So I'm thinking maybe like a dragon, but a small a small pocket sized dragon. Like I think that might be cute. Yeah, I think that would be a lot of fun. I it, it gives me like pseudo dragon vibes from D and D, and I like that. Um, I was I was thinking about this question. I think I would want to pick something that's usually small, but become, would then become big. But I think I would probably want to pick something that would like, I guess, like have a bit of shock value. So I was kind of thinking like. I could go cockroach or like ant and then be like a giant one. And I feel like that would be like really funny and also might scare some people. Like would you be a Kafka sized cockroach that could fit in a bed or a giant kaiju sized cockroach? Okay. (laughs) Kaiju sized cockroach. I think that would be absolutely hilarious and also very metal in my opinion. So, (laughs) oh man. Um, So then the next question we have is from Leon the kitty cat and Leon asks, what does inanimate TF usually represent in folklore and what is its purpose in that context? So I know this is a very specific question for you, I think. <laughs> yeah, so I think I covered it a little bit in my uh, TF history panels, but normally in most folklore, inanimate transformation, if it's done to a human, is normally done as a curse. So the gods, demigods, or fairies cursing a human. So you get turned to a statue, pillar, saw, get turned to a tree, that's that's normally a common element. It's a curse, so it will technically be the bad end <laughs> in most cases. Um, and then there's another interesting element where it comes from the side of the trickster gods. So you have your raven, coyote, Maui, Loki, who would sometimes turn to inanimate objects who kind of disguise themselves among the gods or the humans. And so I think there's a trickster devious element to object transformation if it's willingly done and i think that's the interesting thing if it's done to you it's normally a curse but if you could willingly do it then it's kind of like a trickster type superpower so that's how it's normally represented and then you have the the more modern uh, uh most contemporary era so um you have the yokai period where yokai used to be really really big right before the industrial revolution and yokai were they're supposed to be objects that were beloved or mistreated for over a hundred years and they gained sentience. Um, so there's that angle as well, but there's a lot of transformation of folklore, but it's normally done as a curse or some type of trickster move. Yeah, no, I think that's a really great way of thinking about it. And honestly, I don't have anything to add to that one. You're the expert there. <laughs> and then the third question I have is from Vanessa Dementa. And Vanessa asks, if you could boil down what in- inanimate TF means to you on a personal level, how would you describe it? And I know you've already kind of answered this. So I don't know if there's something specific you want to add here. I would say it's 
risky escapism because if if you if you if you've seen any of my other panels on the opposite side of transformation the transformative art side i i heavily um am inspired by the writings of alan moore and michael moorcock and they often argue against the notion of escapism in fiction like they would argue uh, escapism complete escapism might not be healthy for the mind so what i like about inanimate tf from that angle is Yes, it's a form of escapism, but but you might be a pool. You might turn to a pool toy in the middle of a desert with a bunch of cactuses, or you you might turn into <laughs> you might turn to a towel in a locker room. So there's a lot of risk. Uh, so it's it's a fun escapism because hey, I'm no longer human. But oh, oops, um, I am now in the middle. Uh, I'm a I'm a car in the middle of a junkyard. What do I do now? I think there's a there's a fun risk to it, and I think escapism needs a risk because that's what makes the adventure f- story fun. Because if you turn to just like a superhero who can do whatever, then that's kind of boring. I want okay, you turn. I like the opposite of superpowers. You kind of lose a lot of powers, and then you have to explore your <laughs> adventure through that way. Yeah. Oh no, I completely agree. I think there's so many cool things you can play with on the risk perspective. I guess for me on a personal level, I mean, as I mentioned before, in some ways it can be very gender affirming. And I think that I really appreciate that element that it brings, um, particularly when, uh, you know, there's times when dysphoria is not being too kind to you. But I think overall, I just view it as a very fun thing that has a sense of like, hominess to it I guess and I, I guess for me I really like the idea of having that purpose and being able to fulfill that purpose I think that from a you know a more existential perspective as humans it can be difficult to know what we want to do with our lives and so being or kind of having that dictated almost in a way takes away a lot of uncertainty and you know look don't get me wrong I I do a lot of stuff and I really enjoy the stuff that I do. And, you know, I would, you know, if you told me tomorrow, oh, you could turn into this thing forever, I would still hesitate. But there, there is a unique appeal to having those complicated questions being taken away. And then, you know, within a certain set of parameters that I enjoy, then enjoy it and feel that kind of fulfillment. So I, I often think of it in those terms as well i would say but yeah um that's all the questions that i have i don't know if you had any other questions for me actually i have one more question because i think it kind of touches on a lot of the topics we talked about but uh you you are a fantastic uh photo manipulation artist and and photo manipulations i think are some of the earliest ways i've gotten into uh transformation especially animal transformations i really love looking at some of the early um photo ellipse uh back in the day but since you're also a fan of inanimate transformation this is what i was talking about um it's hard to draw cutesy inanimate transformation even if you intend it to be lighthearted and cutesy um it's it's it kind of could have an uncanny valley feeling to it and i think f- more for photo manipulations because you're using real human faces it's even harder than me drawing the cartoony way so how have you have you tried to do like photo manipulations of inanimate TFs and have you found any ways to kind of make it work? Yeah, so uh, there's like two different ways I've at least personally approached this. So I'll talk about them separately. So the first one is 
the kind where it's very like ASFR focused or uh, like basically focused on like people turning into like statues or mannequins or like sex toys. Um, those ones where it is like basically still human, but you know, you're giving it kind of a different material or you, maybe you're changing some like key things that one I have done an untold amount of, um, the, the fun fact that you'll learn here is that, um, I have a deviant art and it is Zaleppo backwards. It's Opalis. And if you go there, you will see there is a shit ton of both muscle morphs and also statue and mannequin TFs. And I did that for like a long time, uh, kind of as I was like going through a lull for animal TF, to be honest. And so I just did that as kind of a separate thing. Um, so I've done a lot of that. Now, when we think about the actual more traditional kind of objects and transformation around that, it's definitely a lot harder, as you've kind of alluded to. And when I have tried to do it, oftentimes what I have done is I have focused on specific objects that have like a structure to them. And so what I mean by that is like things like chairs or uh, things like tables, things like that, where, you know, you have like hard edges and things like that. I have definitely tried to do those before with like some degree of success, but the caveat there is it's very focused on like mimicking the shape and maybe doing something with the texture, but the face in particular in those ones, I've always left mostly unchanged. And so that can be a level of uncanny for a lot of people. It's one that I have found appeals to me, but it doesn't necessarily fit into the box of like cutesy. A lot of people would look at those and probably say, oh, that's horrifying, hence why they're not readily available online. But, you know, for me, there is a unique appeal there to seeing someone reformed into like a specific shape. Um, so I have done that in terms of like the more like quote unquote, like final objects, I've definitely done less of those. But the one thing I will say around that, um, when it comes to, uh, those kinds of changes, when you're doing it from a photo manipulation perspective is one of the easiest things you can do is you can take like the outline of the face and put it on the object and like play with the transparency and, you can be like, that's a object TF. Like, you know, it was originally a person because there's like the like fragment of a face there, but it's kind of fading away. And like, you know, maybe you do it so well, it's almost like the folds of the clothes and maybe you're just misseeing or something. I've definitely dabbled that. I will admit I've done that before as well. And I think, like I said, even outside the furry community, you you see that as the most common type of photo manipulation for an animate TF, just putting the face transparent on an object. Um, have you have you have you tried pool toy TF uh, in that form? Oh yeah, no. So pool toy TF, that's the one thing I will say. I've done a, a quite a number of those, and those ones are publicly available. So if you want to check out my gallery, you can. But yeah, I've actually done at least three or four that are available around, and those ones I find are the most fun to do for me personally. Not just because I love pool toy TF, but also because you know you are basically doing from a like anatomy perspective you're doing an animal tf but it's not an animal tf because the texture of the skin is completely changing it's not getting furry you are getting sleek and shiny and you're having all of these different uh things being introduced that are clearly not truly animalistic like you know you have the the paws that are really just like you know nubs that you've painted on to make look like paws or you have like the cheesy grin or things like that 
I find that to be incredibly engaging to do. I really enjoy them. And I've been fortunate enough that I've actually worked with uh, Moonlight Drive before and adapted some of his pool toy pictures into photo manips. Um, so if you check out my gallery, the ones that are there are based off of some of his pictures. And the thing that I just really enjoy about them is the fact that it is, is that kind of unification of inanimate and animal TF. And it kind of brings everything together in a way that I think is visually appealing for the average person. Obviously, like most like normies would be like, that's horrifying, but like it doesn't look uncanny in the way that I often see inanimate TF look uncanny. And so that is really like pleasing to the mind for me, at least. And I think so. that's also the gateway. Like I said, most of the gateways from the f normal furries to trans to inanimate transformations normally through pool toys and uh, plushies, because like you said, you have that connection to the animal shape still. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I just, I really love that. And again, I, I mean, I, I joke that I'm pool toy Jesus, but like, I really do love pool toy TF and, it always makes me happy when more people get into it. So uh, where, know, where did where did that name come lot. from? Just curious. I don't want to keep this oh going longer, but I want to, <laughs> no, I, no, I no, definitely no. want to hear this. <laughs> no, it's funny. I I someone coined that. Were you, is it because you're the first to do pool toys, or no? It wasn't because I was. The, I'm definitely not the first one to do pool toys. But the joke was, and I'm going. I'm forgetting right now who exactly it was. So I do apologize. But basically, someone coined that term to me because. I was so adamant about talking about Pool Toy TF and being like, this is why it's really good. And so the joke was that I'm spreading the good word, basically, of Pool Toy TF. And so someone is like, so you're Pool Toy Jesus, basically. And I was like, that's hilarious. I'm going to run with that. Uh, so it's just kind of stuck since then. And uh, that's kind of where it came from. But I, I really do love Pool Toy TF. And I do think everyone should give it a, a fair shake because I genuinely think it is one of the most fun kinds of transformation around. So, Well, that's another comic idea I would recommend for people to keep out for. Um, I have my life, my, it's called Lifesaver. It's a, it's a shonen style comic I'm working on that's about a kid who has the power to turn into a pool toy so <laughs> yeah it's a stegosaurus or yep, something right? a stegosaurus pool yeah, toy yeah. yep so that's that's I something that. i'm interested in and i'm playing around with that power play everyone else gets cool superpowers he gets to turn into a pool toy so like i said adds a completely new dynamic to the adventure story when you're more vulnerable yeah well i i think he got the the best oh shake oh idea, definitely so. easily <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you so much for spending this time with me. I've really enjoyed chatting with you. Um, if people are looking for you online, where can they find you? Uh, so my main, I guess, Narmi account is Transform Artiv. So it's transformative, but with art in the middle. So Transform Artiv. And you can find me on that on Twitter and YouTube. And YouTube is where I am posting some video essays on the topic of transformation, as well as some of the panels I've previously recorded. Uh, if you want to look more for my inanimate transformation, you can find me at Inanimorphs. And Inanimorphs is normally what I go by um, at conventions. So if you see Inanimorphs at a con, that's where my booth will be. Um, so those are two places to check it out. And if hopefully in the future, uh, I already have the domain uh, Shifter Comics, but most of my future transformation comics will be done under the Shifter Comics domain, shiftercomics.com. Fantastic. Well, 
thank you so much again. And thank you so much to everyone for listening to the podcast. I hope you had as much fun listening as we did recording it. Again, if you are interested in supporting us, you can always check out patreon.com slash tftuesdaypod. And in the meantime, I hope that everyone has a fantastic week. I hope that you take a little bit of time for yourself this uh, weekend and week. You've earned it. Keep a positive attitude, keep an open mind, and stay TFE. And we'll see you all back here again next week. Bye for now. Thank you.